Good morning, church family. My name is Carly Persinger, and today I will be reading James 1, 19 through 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and all evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so be deceived yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever intently or whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James 1, 19 through 27. Thank you. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Thank you, Carly. We're in the second week of our walk through the book of James, A Faith That Works is the name of our series. And as I mentioned last week, James is probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. And we're studying it because it gives such practical examples of how to live out our faith, like boots on the ground, not just in our head, but what does it look like to live out the faith that we profess, a faith that works. And he wants us to know, James wants us to know that our relationship with Christ is more than just a feeling. It's more than just something intellectual that we have in our brains. It's something that we live out in our hands. James wants us to know that this true faith is something that's lived out in action. James was, as we mentioned last week, the half-brother of Jesus. And I said this last week, but it's amazing to me, and maybe one of the, the most compelling uh, proofs of the gospel, proofs of who Jesus is and his divinity, is the fact that James, his half-brother, uh, dedicated his life to preaching and teaching after the resurrection of Christ and ultimately gave his life for this. I asked this question last week, what would you have to do? What would your brother or sister brother have to do uh, to convince you that he was God? And uh, in this, James, he gave his life. He gave his life for the belief that his brother, Jesus, was the Christ. And as we see, his words reflect, uh, the words of James also reflect Jesus' teaching as he spent time hearing from him. He, he, and so James is a great mixture of the Old Testament Proverbs that we often read and New Testament teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And in this letter that James writes to all of us, to the scattered church around uh, the area, but also around for us here today, we see what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, you remember that we've talked about what a disciple is. And a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. And James really focuses on that middle part. What does it mean to be changed by Jesus, to live a life that exemplifies this faith? In the book of James, it helps us see what living as a disciple looks like. And last week we saw that in the midst of the struggles that we go through, the trials, that we're often faced in those with a temptation, a temptation either to give in to despair or to give in to anger. And 
as we've talked about that, we saw that we have to turn it over to God and kind of change the perspective of what we're looking at in those trials and temptations. And it's almost like James is anticipating what our next thought would be. So he says, you know, consider it pure joy when you face those trials and don't give in to temptation when you're feeling squeezed. And we're sitting here going, well, how can I do that? How can I really experience that joy that endures the trials? Because James, you don't understand what I'm going through. I mean, you don't know what he said to me or what she did to me. And James says this in verse 19. We just read this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So apparently, the audience that James is writing to is not only struggling with persecution and trials and, and how that affects their relationship with God, it's also affecting how they're relating to each other. When they're squeezed, what comes out? It says they're not listening to each other and they're acting out in anger. Man, I'm so glad that we in this year have figured all this out, right? We don't struggle with this like the first century church did. No. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I read a quote by a prominent psychologist that said, listen to the conversations of our world between nations as well as between couples. They are, for the most part, dialogues of the deaf. We're not listening. We don't really hear each other. And I don't mean physically hearing, but we don't really listen. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let's pray together. God, I ask that over these next few minutes as we look at this passage that is probably familiar to most of us, Lord, that our hearts would be open to hear from you. Uh, Lord, no matter the words that I would say, I just ask that in this next few moments that you would speak to our hearts, that we would be cut to the quick at the times that we are not quick to listen that we're not slow to speak and that we're not slow to anger. God, we thank you for this letter that opens up uh, the faith that we profess in you in ways that help us to live it out to the world around us. And so, Lord, I thank you for this book. I thank you for the time we have to spend in it. And may we hear from you this morning the message that you want us to hear. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know how it was at your house, but in the Bruce house, when someone asks a question, the response is usually, what? And then, of course, we repeat the question. Oh, oh, yeah, and then they'll answer the question. But I figured something out early on in our family's life together. And that was, if you ask the question and just wait a second, here's what will happen. You ask a question, what? Oh, yes, for sure. You ask a question, what? Uh, no, not today. So we say what when we already heard the question, and why is that? Is anybody else experiencing this in their house? And it's gotten to the point in, in the Bruce family where it's actually comical. So we wait for each other now. Or, or someone will ask a question, what? And we go, and they just answer it. Because we actually have heard what someone says, but our mouth is usually faster than our brain. Now the real problem comes when you're talking with someone and they aren't really listening. 
And I find myself guilty of this in conversations quite often. Some of you might have experienced this with me. And it's usually because I'm really wanting to share something or I want to answer your question or I want to respond. And we do this in relationships all the time. We're formulating a response while someone's talking. We're not listening to what they're saying. And if we would just pause for a moment and listen, we would really hear what that person is saying. And we do this often because if we're truthful, we're often more concerned with ourselves and what we have to say instead of what the person that we're talking to is saying. Now, over the years, I've grown in this. My wife can attest to this, but I still struggle. I've got to keep working on this. I have to grow in what Stuart Briscoe calls the ministry of listening. How many of you need to work on the ministry of listening? Don't jab your spouse, by the way. But I know that I'd be a much more effective pastor. I'd be a much more loving husband and a loving father a much more effective witness for Christ if I stopped talking and began to listen more. And James is saying, quick, slow, slow. Quick, slow, slow. That might be a good thing for you to repeat this week over in your head. Quick, slow, slow. When you feel that stir in your gut to put someone in their place, to set the record straight, to tell your side of the story, quick, slow, slow. Because see, James tells us we have to listen. We have to listen to truly hear what's being shared. So slow down, hold your tongue, pause. And when things get tense, when you're faced with those trials like we talked about last week, when you're squeezed, when it gets heated, be slow to anger, quick, slow, slow. You've probably heard this saying attributed to Epictetus in the first century, and he said, you have two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as you speak. Some of your mothers told you that, right? And this is not the norm for us today. I mean, if we turn on the news or you jump on social media, we see that we live exactly the opposite. We live slow, quick, quick. We barely listen. We can't wait to jump in with our thoughts or our commentary, our comeback. And when we do that, that's when often anger comes. And what does James tell us is the result of this? Twitter. <laughs> Not really. But it produces conflict, misunderstandings, wars, broken relationships broken homes, broken churches. That's what happens. The list goes on. James tells us when we don't live this way, he tells us what it doesn't produce. The righteousness of God or the righteousness that God desires as we read from the New Living Translation. In church, it's one thing to live or when the world lives slow, quick, quick, but as followers of Christ, we need to do better. Now, the landscape may look different than it did in the first century, but it looks like Christians have been struggling with this for a long time. But today, especially in our current climate, it's often professed followers of Jesus who are known for lashing out, for being quick to jump into the mix and fight. And often, it's because of the human anger, not the righteousness that God desires. Now understand, James isn't saying don't get angry. 
There is a righteous anger. Jesus, we see, got angry. God gets angry with sin. But James is telling us that when we aren't quick, slow, slow, the anger that usually seeps out of us is the anger of man, human anger, our reaction when we feel squeezed. Behavioral scientists tell us that this quality of anger usually comes as a result of frustration. And that frustration is most simply caused when we're not getting our own way. If you really look at the times when you just, the heat gets dialed up within your soul, it's usually because you're not getting your way. But as followers of Jesus, we aren't supposed to be about getting our own way. We're supposed to be about seeking first His kingdom. So if human anger doesn't move us towards the righteousness that God desires, what does? James tells us in verse 21. He says, So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it is the power to save your soul. He says, get rid of all filth. Or some translations might say, take it off. It's like you're removing your dirty clothes. Uh, when I was growing up, I would do yard work. And the first thing I had to do when I came in, my mom said, take off your clothes, right? At the door, you had to remove your dirty clothes because you didn't want all that stuff, all that junk, all that dirt, all that filth in her house. He says, take it off. Not some of it. Take off all the evil, all the filth. See, what in your life is holding you back from handling the trials and the persecutions that you face and the temptations that you face with the righteousness that God desires. See, notice he doesn't say you need to get rid of some of it. It's okay to hold on to some of that junk in your life. He's saying take it all off. James cares about how we speak to each other, how we react to the people around us. He's going to revisit this more in chapter 3. We're going to see that. But even if you're not a follower of Jesus... We just know that life is better this way, don't we? If you're listening here and you say, you know what, I'm not, even, I'm not even made the decision yet to follow Christ. I'm not sure how I feel about that. This is the right way to live. Your life will be better if you live quick, slow, slow. We're called to live this way and we know it. James says this. He goes, you know this. And then James tells us how to listen. In verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. If you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So we can't just listen. A lot of us have been listening to the word for a long time. You've been coming to church maybe for as long as you can remember. Maybe you've read the Bible cover to cover, or at least some of it. Maybe you've been coming to Bible classes, or you're part of a growth group. You're engaged online. You listen to worship music throughout the week. You listen to a message here each week. But just like in our relationships with each other, it's not enough to just hear. So James uses an illustration of a mirror. He says you have to look. You can't just listen. You have to look. 
So what does that mean to look? Think, think about this idea of a mirror, especially in the first century when the mirrors probably weren't exactly like the mirrors that we have today. These big, clean things we can just look at and we get a clear picture. You had to look intently to see what was in the reflection. Not just a quick glance, you have to really look. I've used this illustration before, but one of the things that you learn when you're learning to drive is that whatever you're looking at is what you're going to drift towards, right? If you're driving down the road and you see something and you, you focus on that, you kind of drift towards that. And James tells us to look intently at the perfect law. Now, the perfect law that James is telling about is the law that brings freedom, he says. And not just the Old Testament laws, but the complete perfected law, the Word of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you look at the Word, the perfect law, we can see clearly how we're supposed to be reflected. The Greek word here used for this word to look isn't just something that means a quick glance. It's kataneo, and it means to observe fully, to study it, to consider attentively, or to fix one's eyes or your mind upon. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. There's an old song that many of you grew up singing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. When you fix your eyes upon Jesus, everything else becomes dim. Just like James said in verse 21, this message, the word that's implanted in us, we're told over and over to hide the word in our heart, to dwell on it. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we looked at John chapter 15, to dwell in it, to abide in it. So how long have you been coming to church? And how many sermons do you think you've heard? How many of those do you think you can remember? You might not even remember what we talked about tomorrow morning, if you're like me. You might forget the point of this sermon, quick, slow, slow, by the time you're in the parking lot. But let those words of James sink in. And that's why we encourage you to read this every week as we're going through the book of James, to read this letter every week to develop a habit of really looking at the perfect word. See, James is saying you can listen to as many sermons as you want. You can attend as many church services. You can listen to podcasts, go to Bible studies, journal, whatever, all good stuff. But we have to do more than just listen. We can't ignore what we see in the mirror. We have to gaze, to look intently. Otherwise, we're like someone, he says, who looks in a mirror. In other words, we're challenged by the verses that we read. We're challenged by the message the preacher shared. But then a few moments later, often by the time we've reached the parking lot, we've forgotten. And I don't just mean forgotten like we just can't remember what the point was. This kind of illustration is James saying, we're looking at the mirror and it's like we've got... You know, okay, I'm going to get a little gross here for a second. But as I get out and older, I've noticed hair coming out of different parts of my body. And it's like we're looking at the mirror and there's hair where there's not supposed to be hair. And I just go, oh, okay. And I walk away. And James is saying, no, 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 you've got to do something about that. We can't just look and then go on like nothing has happened. Forgetting. 
James tells us who we were. We need to look at it and say, who were you when you looked in the mirror? We have to listen, but we also have to look. We have to listen, but we also have to look. One of the reasons we fail to really look in the mirror is often that we're afraid we might not like what we see. See, I can just be content. I can feel pretty good about myself. I mean, I'm a good person. You're a good person. I go to church. I listen to worship music in my car. But am I just glancing? Just passing by the mirror, saying, oh, okay, I'm going to move on. Have you done this? I know I have. Those quick glances, but not really looking intently at what God wants for my life. When I look at the reflection of the word in light of myself. A lot of us are living that way, quick glances. We go to church on Sunday, just a quick glance. We listen to a sermon, quick glance. We open up a Bible and we see something that convicts our heart, quick glance, just move on. All of those things are great to do those things, but we're not really looking. Have you guys seen these exercise mirrors? You're going to see them here on the screen. I don't have one, but they're a pretty cool invention. I mean, these exercise mirrors are, are amazing. They not only give you immediate feedback as to what you're doing, but through some cool technology, you have a personal trainer that's looking directly at you, and you mimic their actions. They have a camera that analyzes your movements, and then the online trainer can work with you. You line up your body with the body on the mirror, and it helps you to improve your form. And it gives you some benchmark of what you're doing to see if you're lining up properly, if you're doing the exercise right. And this helps build muscle memory. And as we build muscle memory, that movement becomes more natural. And eventually, the trainer acknowledges you've got that down and they move on to the next step. You don't have to think about it as much because you've been mimicking what you see in the mirror. And you can build upon what you learn and you grow. So as we look into the mirror of the word, with Jesus as really our personal trainer, we see what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And he shapes us. We clearly see who we are in the mirror in light of how we're supposed to be, who Jesus wants us to become. So we need to listen to the word, but we also need to look to focus on the perfect word of God. But we don't just look once. We have to keep looking in the mirror. That's the second part of being a disciple, becoming more like Jesus. The ongoing process of looking in the mirror and lining up our actions, our thoughts, our motives with what Jesus has done in the mirror. Continually looking. And we use that mirror, the word, as our guide. As we begin to pattern our thoughts and our feelings and our behavior more and more to match up with what we see in the perfect mirror. This is what we call sanctification. And really, the more we look, the more we see. That's the way the perfect word of God works. I've read through James countless times before. And every time I read this passage, I'm convicted again about something a little different than I was before. Because that's the way the word of God works. It's active and alive, we're told. So the more we look into the mirror, the more we see. The more we see a reflection of who we are in light of Christ and who we still need to be. See, the more mature I come, the more is revealed in the mirror. 
When I first looked at myself in this mirror, when you first realized that you were sinful, that you needed a savior, it looks pretty bad. You see yourself with all your mess, all your mistakes. And that recognition in the face of all that Jesus has done for you, it leads you to repentance. And that repentance then starts to bring change. Because the more you look, the more you see. This is how someone like Paul, one of the greatest examples of a Christian leader who ever lived, referred to himself like this. He said he was the chief of sinners. Why? Because he kept looking in the mirror. And the more he looked, the more he saw how he was not quite yet the reflection of the word in front of him. And he wanted to be more and more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us this. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit working within us as our personal trainer. As we look in the mirror and we try to line up our lives to what we see in Scripture. And as we grow in understanding of God's love, His laws, and His ways, the more He reveals about our hearts and our motives, not just our actions. See, I'm more aware of my sinfulness now at 47 than I was at 15. The longer I look into the mirror, the more I see how much I still have left to become like Christ. I'm more aware of my need for him. And the Holy Spirit does his work of revealing where I need to be more like Jesus. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's fully finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He's going to do the work if we keep looking. We must listen. We must look at our own hearts, our own motives, But James tells us we can't just listen and look and then move on. We have to do something else. He says we have to live it out. Verse 22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, he says, you're only fooling yourselves. You're not fooling the people around you. Even if you are, it doesn't really matter. You're certainly not fooling God, but we're fooling ourselves thinking that Our life is a reflection of Christ when it really isn't. We have to listen. We have to look. And then we have to live. Listen, look, and live. See, hearing the word without action, he says, is like lying to ourselves. James tells us we're not fooling God. We might fool others for a while. But listen, we're we're not as believers fooling the world when we live that way. Just ask around. I mean, one of the main reasons that people reject the message of Jesus is when they look around, they see people who don't reflect Christ in the mirror. What does James say? We're fooling, listening and looking, but not living it out. We're fooling ourselves. Jesus gives us a parallel here that I had to believe James was thinking about when he wrote this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 26. Actually, I'm going to start a little bit before that. Verse 24, it says, Anyone who listens to my teaching, this is Jesus talking, and follows it is wise, 
like a person who builds his house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Verse 26, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. See, knowledge demands action. You know what happens to us when we have knowledge without action? When we fill our head with the Word of God, but it doesn't express itself when it's lived out. Have you seen those characters, that, those little bobbleheads that have little bodies and giant heads? You seen those? Yeah. That's what happens when we're filled with God's Word by reading it, but we don't do anything about it. It just stores it up, and we get a big head. We're like a bobblehead. And what good is a bobblehead besides entertaining you on your desk? Right? You shake a little bit, and the head bops back and forth. But it doesn't really do anything. It's not good for much. It just sits there, head bobbing up and down. It might be fun to look at, but it doesn't do anything. And Jesus talks about the Pharisees, or I might call them the bobblehead believers of the first century this way. He says, this is what happens when you have knowledge, when you're taking it in, but you're not living it out. He says in Matthew 13, 13, seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. See, this theme of knowing but not doing is running through the book of James. Saying you believe in Jesus, professing faith, but your life doesn't reflect him in the mirror. Later in James 4, he says, remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. Now, there's a story of a man who came home from church services early, and his wife said, is the sermon all done? And the guy said, it's all been said, but it hasn't even begun to be done. So what does it mean to live it out? How do we do this? How do we look, listen, and then live? James gives us a very practical example in the very next verse, in verse 27. He says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows and their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. See, James tells us what it means to live it out. It's not just hearing the word. It's not just engaging in religious activities. It's living it out. Boots on the ground, living a life of service, loving one another, and living a life of holiness. Showing us what it means to live it out is what James is trying to communicate to us. See, how different would the world be if the word of God moved from our heads to our hearts to our hands if it was lived out in the way that we treated each other, the way that we reacted when we're squeezed, like we talked about last week, in the things that you say, in the way that you act. See, we can make a decision to follow Jesus, but we have to be changed by Jesus. And a lot of us, including ourselves, we have a mirror on the wall. We bought it. We believe it. We may even have read the instructions. And we look at it every once in a while but we aren't maturing. We aren't growing. We aren't becoming more like the man in the mirror, to quote the famous philosopher Michael Jackson. <laughs> We're stuck. 
See, are you feeling stuck? Are you listening to God and each other, but are you hearing and not doing? Does your life reflect the transformed life of a follower of Christ? Looking intently at Jesus, your personal trainer in the mirror. Now, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. Our trainer is perfect. He sets the standard, the, what we read here, the perfect law. But church, we have to do more than just stare at the mirror. We need to act. Not so that we can earn something from God. That's not what James is all about when he's saying you need to work out your faith. But because of who he is and because of what he's done and because of what he's given us. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, when preaching on this very verse, said this. He said, I will do it. I will not dream about it or talk about it or question about it or say I will do it and put it off. But now at once the act commanded shall be done. See, the world doesn't need any more bobblehead Christians. The world needs more Christians who, when faced with trials, are quick, slow, slow. My wife needs a husband who's looking in the mirror and not just glancing quickly, but intently at the mirror and lining up my life to the perfect trainer. Your office needs more believers who aren't just a good guy or a girl, but people who reflect the words of Jesus in our lives and in our actions and our thoughts and the way that we treat each other. We need to be believers who listen, look, and live. Let's pray together. God, it's a challenging passage we just read. And not because we can't understand it, it's crystal clear, Lord, but it's so difficult for us sometimes to adjust our lives to the perfect reflected mirror that's in front of us of your word. So God, I ask that we would be people who are quick, slow, slow. That when the world looks at us, when we look at each other, we would see that reflected in our lives. That we would grow to be more like you as we stare in the perfect mirror of your word and we align our lives to it. May we be people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And may our lives, Lord, continually more and more every day more reflect your perfect image. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.